Hello, people of the way. Blessings in Jesus. If you have your Bible, please open up to Judges chapter 12, the book of Judges chapter 12. We continue our study through the Old Testament. Now, this is a continuation from last week where we see how Jephthah, how he's victorious in battle and his vow unto the Lord and his daughter, his beautiful, beautiful daughter and her honoring of that vow. And, you know, you see her, how she mourns for two months and here she's, she's, She's dead now. She's she's died. Judges 12, she's she's died now. You figure a guy in this situation wouldn't mind at all to just be left alone. To just be left alone. Just let me live my life. I'll honor the Lord, but let me live my life. You figure, Jephthah, how painful just the when you know he, he's victorious in battle and you're on cloud nine in the victory and, and glorifying in the Lord, and then because of his vow, all of a sudden you see, and not just his vow, but the honoring of his vow. Remember in our study in, in Leviticus and Numbers, and mentioned in Deuteronomy as well, how the Lord sees vows. Vows are no small thing. Even though people treat vows as, you know, insignificant with the Lord, in the eyes of the Lord, they are no small thing. And it's so beautiful to see vows when they're honored. But then at the same time, it's like, whoa, Jephthah, that, that's a heavy vow that you made unto the Lord. And then on top of that, you see his honoring of that vow. And, you know, it reminds me of our study. It just so happens on Sunday where, you know, be careful with vows, be careful with oaths, where let your yes be yes and your no be no. And so here we see Jephthah now in your walk with the Lord, in our walk with the Lord. Don't be surprised. Don't be surprised, you know, when there is opposition. Opposition shouldn't be a surprise at all, but Sometimes what is a surprise is the source of the opposition. And this is what we see here in Judges 12. Remember, this is post-combat, post-battlefield, and it's also the post-passing of Jephthah's beautiful, beautiful, beautiful daughter. And so here we begin in Judges chapter 12, verse 1. Then the men of Ephraim gathered together, crossed over toward Zaphon and said to Jephthah, why did you cross over to fight against the people of Ammon and did not call us to go with you? We will burn your house down on you with fire. Whoa. You, you see this opposition against Zeph, uh, against uh, um, uh, uh, Jephthah. And you see this opposition against Jephthah. Now understand, this isn't Ammon. This isn't Canaan. This isn't Moab. This is Ephraim. Ephraim gathered together, threatening the one who was victorious against Ammon. Now, at the same time, you know, look at what they say to him. We're going to set your house on fire with you in it. And that's how we're going to kill you. That's what they say to him. Why? Why did you? Verse one. Why? Why did you cross over to fight against the people of Ammon and did not call us to go with you? We will burn your house down on you with fire. Now, put yourself in Jephthah's sandals for a moment. Put yourself in his sandals. I mean, you don't want to. 
You're not looking for the thank yous. You're not looking for the accolades. You're just being obedient to the Lord. And you just want to honor the Lord. And remember last week when we kind of did a little, remember the, 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 the prequel in, 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 in chapter 11 where we look at the childhood where he's the runt of the family, rejected by his brothers, rejected by the elders and kicked out of his hometown. And now Jephthah's in a leadership role now, but at the same time, the, the, you know, remember the elders accepted him, but they weren't his first pick. They, 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 they weren't the first pick of, 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 of Gideon. And you figure, okay, so, you know, he's victorious in battle and now he's accepted by everybody, but not everyone. Not everyone. The opposition he's now facing is from Ephraim. Do you remember our studies in Deuteronomy? If you've been walking with us for a while. Our studies in Deuteronomy where we see old man Moses. Old man Moses and he's speaking to a united Israel. But for Israel to be united, I mean, that's a tall order because, I mean, when you see the, when the golden calf, remember Moses and Joshua come down the mountain and all Israel, all Israel was defiled except for two, Moses and Joshua. Now you see all of Israel defiled. But then from that moment, the golden calf and in Deuteronomy where Moses is giving his farewell discourse, so to speak. And then you see a united Israel. Well, to see defiled Israel and then to see united Israel. That's a tall order. A lot has happened. That's a that's not just a big gap of time. It is a big gap of time. But in that time frame, you see, oh, my goodness, a lot has happened. I mean, if you see the golden calf as point A, and then you see Deuteronomy where Israel is united, and they're listening to old man Moses give, give his farewell discourse, and you say, wow, it's so beautiful that Israel is united, and you see that as point Z, so to speak. Well, there's a lot in between A, there's a lot in between A and Z. A lot has happened. And don't forget, that's at point Z, that's second generation. You see? I mean, it's powerful to consider, like, wow, how, how far Israel has come. And then you're in Deuteronomy, and you're like, wow, this is so beautiful. They're united, and everybody's in agreement. But do you remember how we would make mention? How we would make mention of, you know, after our study in the book of Torah, we're going to see how Israel becomes divided. I meant you see 12 tribes in Deuteronomy and 12 tribes. It's so beautiful. You see 12 tribes in Joshua and then 12 tribes. You know, when Joshua, at the end of Joshua, when Joshua says, as for me and my house, we, we will serve the Lord. But then he says to them, he says, choose you this day whom you will serve. As for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. But then, you know, you hear the people, the people say, hey, you know, Joshua, we're on board. Joshua, we're on board. We're going to honor the Lord, too. You say, as for you and your house, okay, as for us and our house, we're going to honor the Lord. And then you, you turn the page, and what do you see? The book of Judges. What happened? And you see division set in. Because you look at Deuteronomy, you see 
Gideon and Ephraim, everything's fine. You look at Joshua, you see Gideon and, and Ephraim, everything's fine. And here in Judges 12, Ephraim wants to kill Jephthah. You see, what happened? Division set in. And then they, they threatened, we're going to burn your house down with you inside. Why did they come to him, Ephraim? They come and why did you cross over to fight against the people of Ammon and did not call us? We will burn your house down on you with fire. And in verse 2, and Jephthah said to them, my people and I were in a great struggle. This is his response to, to Ephraim. And Jephthah says, my people and I, we were in a great struggle with the people of Ammon. And when I called you, you did not deliver me out of their hands. Very interesting what we see here in verse 2. When I called you, you did not deliver me out of their hands. You see, the struggle was so great against Ammon. Now, let's not forget that the conquest of Ammon before, you know, in chapter 11, we see the, the battle and there was victory. But then at the same time, let's not forget the, 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 the prior victories of Ammon. They had victory upon victory upon victory as Israel had forgotten the Lord. The Lord became forgotten. You see? And then when the Lord becomes forgotten, you see enemies of Israel become the oppressors of Israel. Seemingly victorious. Well, then when you look at promises in the law, it's like, well, wait a second. How is it that Israel is uh, being oppressed when the Lord says that won't happen? And then we understand effectuators. It's something that we've been saying quite a bit, Old Testament and New Testament. How, yes, there are beautiful, beautiful, beautiful promises of the Lord. And yes, we can lean on his promises. Absolutely. But understand, too, there are effectuators for promises. Where the Lord says, hey, go into Canaan and go fight in Canaan. And I'm, in, I'm, I'm with you. And in the same chapter, he says, okay, don't go into Canaan because I'm not with you. Did the Lord change his mind? No, the people changed their heart. You see? Disobedience. They change their heart. Disobedience. The Lord says, go into Canaan. The people were like, no, thank you. We're scared. We're terrified. And then the Lord says, okay, this 40, 40 year, this, this 11 day journey is now 40 years. And then the people say, okay, now we'll go into Canaan. Look, you know, if God is for us, who can be against us? Look, the Lord is with you and the Lord is with us. And then all of a sudden the Lord speaks to Moses and the Lord says, Moses, tell them not to go. And you say, wait, wait, did the Lord change his mind? No, no way. The people changed their heart, disobedience. You see, because we understand formula of the heart. Formula of the heart and disobedience, wrong formula. How is it that the Lord, remember the chapter in Deuteronomy where the Lord says, I will never forsake you. And in the same chapter, he says, I will forsake you. Did the Lord change his mind? No, the people changed their heart. You see, 
These are things that we study constantly because we have to understand these beautiful promises of the Lord, but then at the same time, understand the effectuators of those promises. And people say, well, you sound like that's workspace. You sound like that's workspace salvation. Listen, we're not saved by works, lest any man should boast. Remember, we come to Jesus at 0%. But then at the same time, remember, we're not saved by works. We're saved for works. And this is combining multiple studies in the Old Testament, our studies in the book of Hebrews, our studies in the book of James. And this is a combination of many studies. But when we understand the it is also written, something beautiful is seen. And you see the faithfulness of the Lord. And you also see the beauty of the obedient. You see, just like Jephthah. Just like his beautiful, beautiful daughter. Just like Moses, just like Joshua, just like Paul and James and Chloe and Epaphroditus and Onesimus. And John and Matthew and Dr. Luke. You see something so beautiful in these people. Vessels that the Lord uses. Remember Amos, where Amos was like, hey, I'm no prophet, nor the son of the prophet or of a prophet. And the Lord says, Amos, surprise, you're my guy. Formula. Effectuators. And it's so beautiful. And last week in our study in Judges 11, we see the how Israel, when the Lord became forgotten, you see how the 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 uh, oppressors enemies of israel became the oppressors of israel and that was ammon and ammon he was victorious against israel town by town victory upon victory opposing israel oppressing israel and these conquests of ammon they were met by a brick wall in jephthah but the struggle was great the struggle was great, something that Jephthah even says in verse 2 here in Judges 12. He says, my people and I were in a great struggle with the people of Mon, Ammon. And when I called you, you, you did not deliver me out of their hands. And this struggle was so great against Ammon. He was, Ammon was a force to be reckoned with, absolutely, because he was having victory upon victory upon victory upon victory. But this struggle was so great that Jephthah, he made a vow to the Lord. This is a big vow. A very big one. Now, I don't want to suggest that there are, you know, there that, that some vows are insignificant. I don't want to suggest that at all. Because, you know, they're not. But some vows do come at greater sacrifice. And this is what we studied last week in, in, in Judges 11. Now, I'm, I'm very careful when it comes to the what-ifs of Scripture. We, we, we have to be in these days of deception. Be very careful with the what-ifs. Because we're living in very, very deceptive times but even so what if 
in the great struggle of Jephthah against Ammon. What if Jephthah calls for reinforcements, sends out messengers to Ephraim, and Ephraim responded to Jephthah's call? And Ephraim comes with warriors, with armaments, with reinforcements. What if? Would the vow have even been made? Would Jephthah's beautiful daughter still be alive? I mean, if Jephthah didn't make a vow unto the Lord, because the struggle was so great, Ammon was a force to be reckoned with. And what if he calls for reinforcements and sends out to Ephraim and Ephraim responded? And what if he didn't have to make the vow? His daughter would still be alive. You see? But Ephraim didn't respond. You see, Jephthah said, I called you. In verse 2, I called you. But you never came. And that struggle, remember, you know, Ammon was a force to be reckoned with. And yes, his conquests were met by a brick wall in Jephthah. And sometimes we think of like, okay, wow, what a brick wall. Wow, that's so awesome. And wow, he's so strong and all these things. But also understand, I love how we see the humanity. You see, you see humanity in Jephthah struggling. And yes, Ammon met a brick wall. But what's so beautiful about this brick wall in terms of opposing opposition to the opposing force is that you also see softness. And Jephthah, in such a great struggle, makes his vow unto the Lord. And it's a heavy vow. Now, again, not to suggest that, you know, like, you know, there's, you know, insignificant vows and there's some that are, you know, better and some that are worse, but there are greater sacrifices you see and so Ephraim confronts Jephthah remember Ephraim is not Moabites it'd be one thing if the Moabites confront Jephthah saying we're going to kill you because you know that's outside of Israel it'd be one thing if the Canaanites say hey you know Jephthah we're going to kill you it'd be one thing if that happened but no this is an internal fight This is a fight within the camp where Ephraim says, hey, we're going to kill you, Jephthah. And we're going to burn your house down with you in it. But did they even know about the sacrifice of Jephthah? Did they even know about his vow unto the Lord? Did they even know that his daughter is now dead? Now, This is something that you, my beautiful brothers, my beautiful sisters, this is something that we must get very accustomed to. Not comfortable with, but accustomed to because it is extremely painful when you pour into people and pour and pour and pour and pour and pour and pour. pour. And you never broadcast your sacrifice. It remains unknown 
to everyone except our Father in heaven. Hallowed be his name. They hate you. They spit on you. They derail you. They want to burn your house down with you in it. And the Lord is witness. Get very accustomed to this as we endure the last days. Again, not comfortable with it. But get accustomed to it. Because the pain will hurt. It is painful. It will hurt. But in that pain, we can rejoice. Why? Because you're counted worthy to suffer shame for the name of Jesus. You see? And so Jephthah continues here in verse 3. He says, speaking to Ephraim, who, you know, threatened to kill him. And he says here in verse 3, he says, So when I saw that you would not deliver me, I took my life in my hands and crossed over against the people of Ammon. And don't forget, Ammon, again, he's a formidable opponent. He was having win upon win upon win on the battlefield until he met Jephthah. And the valiance of Jephthah was not without this beautiful, beautiful, beautiful ingredient. You know what that is? Humility. Humility. His vow before the Lord and unto the Lord. And even still, the struggle was so great. Jephthah meeting his opponent in combat that he made his vow unto the Lord. And we see something else at work here. Jephthah called for help from Ephraim. And help never came. And he called upon the Lord. And the Lord delivered. You see? It's been said before that the end of self is the beginning of God. And I get that. The end of self is the beginning of God. I completely get that. And to a certain degree, I agree. But I'll tell you a better way. Be humble. Be humble. Remember, the Lord resists the proud. Remember our study in James? It just so happens. It just so happens. The Lord resists the proud. But he gives grace to the humble. And Jephthah, you know, he called for Ephraim, you know, wanting deliverance. Ephraim never answered. He called unto the Lord. And Jephthah did receive deliverance. But it was from the Lord. We continue here in, in verse 3. He says, yeah, I saw that you would not deliver me. I took my life in my hands and crossed over against the people of Ammon. And the Lord delivered them into my hand. Why then? Why then have you come, come up to me this day to fight against me? You see, I mean, like, Why? The people come, Ephraim comes and they want to kill him. They say, hey, we're going to set your house on fire and we're going to make sure you're inside and you're going to burn. And Jephthah, what, what did he do? You see? 
They say, we hate you, we want to kill you, we want to burn your house down. Why? What was Jephthah's crime? And we see something else at work here. In your intimacy with Jesus. In your intimacy with Jesus, Son of the Most High. The carnal? They'll have a case against you. The leaven? They'll have a case against you. The dead, they will have a case against you. But before God, you are innocent. A clean conscience before the Lord. And that's what we see here in Jephthah. Why? Why do you want me dead? What did I do? Why, why then have you come up to me this day to fight against me? Why do you want to burn me, my house down with me inside? I called for you. You never came. And now you want to kill me? And so we see in verse 4, now Jephthah gathered together all the men of Gilead and fought against Ephraim. This is sad. This kills me. It hurts. It hurts because it shouldn't have come to this. It doesn't need to be this way. Look at the, the past unity that we saw in Deuteronomy. Moses in his farewell discourse, you see like, wow, Israel is united. But again, to get from point A to point Z, there's a lot jammed in the middle. And you see Israel under the leadership of Joshua. Remember, leadership matters. You see Israel under the leadership of Joshua, where Joshua says, choose you this day whom you shall serve as for me and my house. We will serve the Lord. And the people say, hey, we're on board. Just like you, we're going to do it too. As for us, we're going to serve the Lord. Turn the page. Hello, book of Judges. What happened? Then you start to see divisions. Where we see unity before in the past, But then you look at what's happening now in the book of Judges, in Judges 12. And you see what's happening now in Judges 12. And you see this division. You see? But we also see something else. We see the reason behind the division. Remember, the Lord, Israel has forgotten the Lord. That's what happens in the book of Judges. The Lord becomes forgotten. And then as Israel begins to remember the Lord once again, you start to see the building blocks for restoration leading up to restoration. But does this restoration in remembering the Lord, does it happen to everyone? Does everyone honor the Lord? Does everyone understand who the Lord is using? The answer is no. You see, when it's Moses and Korah, remember Korah? Where Korah's, oh, you know, Moses, you think, you think the Lord speaks to you and you, that you speak to us and it's from the Lord? Oh, look, we can do it too. The siblings of Moses thought the same and the Lord corrected them really quick. Step into my office. The Lord corrected them really quick. Remember, he disciplines, he chastises those whom he loves. 
But in the case of Korah, there was leadership under Moses and leadership under Korah where people could choose. People had a choice. Well, you know, I got Moses over here and I, I like this Korah guy. He's really nice. He's really nice. You see? But following Moses was life. Following Korah? Where are the followers of Korah today? They're dead. Remember the earth opened up? Men, women, young, old. Dead. You see, when it's Moses and Korah, there's somewhat more ease because it's just Korah. You know, you have, you know, choice number one being Moses. Choice number two, Korah. It's kind of easy because there's just two to choose from. It's kind of easy. But what if the Korahs are multiplied? You see, what if there were two Korahs? What if there were 10 Korahs? What if there were 10,000 Korahs? Who would still listen to Moses? Moses plus 10,000? Who would still listen to Moses? I'm very fond, very fond, and even enthralled by Chloe. Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful Chloe of Corinth. I mean, it's one thing to be a man. It's one thing to be a man in that setting of spiritual corruption of Corinth. But to be a woman? You see, there's conduct becoming of a Christian. But there were also cultural and societal norms which were very, very, very male-centric. And even still, Chloe made her stand in the Lord. I mean, that's hard. It'd be one thing if it was a dude. If it was a guy, it'd be one thing. I mean, that would be beautiful too. Not to say, not to suggest in any way, shape, or form that, well, it's just a guy, no big deal. Not to suggest that at all. That would be beautiful. But how much more beautiful that is female. Beautiful Chloe. When you don't have, you know, not just, not just uh, uh, the norms of Christian conduct, conduct becoming of a Christian, not just that, but also the cultural and societal norms. And yet Chloe made her stand. That's so beautiful. Chloe made her stand in the Lord. Forget the cultural norms. Forget the societal norms. Forget the norms of the leaven. Forget the norms of the defunct. And Chloe, Chloe remembers the Lord and stood. When the Lord became forgotten in the church. You see? Chloe remembered. And she stood so beautifully. She stood so valiantly. Such a captivating beauty. Male, female, young, old, I don't care. There is nothing more beautiful than righteousness. Nothing. And Jeff does like what? Here in Judges 12, Jeff does like, Ephraim, what did I do? You want to burn my house down with me in it? What did I do? I mean, did Ephraim even know about the vow that Jephthah made? 
Did they even know about the sacrifice that was made? His beautiful daughter, remember, his only, no sons, no other daughter, just her. His beautiful, just her. His lineage is now done. And they're coming at him like this. Did they even know about that great sacrifice? And so Jephthah, in verse 4, Excuse me. In verse four, now Jephthah gathered together all the men of Gilead and fought against Ephraim. And the men of Gilead defeated Ephraim. Now we see like, wow, look, he's victorious. And yes, he's victorious, but it's still sad. It doesn't have to be this way. You know, what would have been beautiful is if Ephraim acknowledged that, you know, wow, you know, Jephthah, he's a judge of the Lord. That would have been beautiful. But we don't see that. And you see this division. Inside the camp, division. You see? And it's one thing to see, like, you know, like, you know, okay, with the division is bad, division is bad, so we have to be unit, unified, you know, church unity, church unity, church unity. And I'm all for church unity. I'm all for church unity. But emphasis on the word church. Ecclesia. Koinonia. Love feast. Very specific formula. Very, very, very specific recipe. And I'm all for church unity within the framework of formula, within the framework of what is holy. You see? Because unity with Laodicea, very, very dangerous. Very, very dangerous. You see? And these are things that we have to understand as a last day's generation. And so Gilead, he's victorious here. But it's sad because his opponents are inside the camp. The men of Gilead defeated Ephraim. And don't forget, Ephraim, they didn't recognize that. Wow, you know, the Lord is with Jephthah. They didn't realize. Jephthah is a judge chosen and used by the Lord. Do you remember of the second generation of Israel in our study in the book of Numbers, if you've been walking with us for a while. And of the second generation, the people, what did they say of Joshua and Caleb? They wanted to kill them. All of Israel wanted to kill Joshua and Caleb. You see? Because a person not knowing the word, a person not knowing Torah, a person not knowing the very things that Moses told them would say, well, wait a second. You know, look, all the majority, they want to kill these two people. They want to kill these two guys. And the majority says this. So, okay, you know what? I'm on board with the majority. Look at those odds. I mean, you know, not that we play in the game of odds, but look at the odds. You have 100% of the second generation and they want to stone Caleb and Joshua. 
Say you're, say you and me were in the camp of Israel. We're, we're in that moment where, you know, somebody says, you know, somebody shouts out, stone them, stone them. And they have Torah. They know the teachings of Moses. And stoning is a, the, the, the death of, the, the penalty of death for breaking the law. And they say, stone them. 100% of the camp of the second generation. 100%. Because don't forget, Caleb and Joshua, they were of the first generation. The only two of the first generation allowed passage. A type of Christ, a type of Holy Spirit. You see? Passage into the promised land. Just as it is for us. Jesus with the Holy Spirit, passage into the promised land. And I speak of paradise. Nothing new under the sun. Remember, uh, Paul, when he says that things written of old, he says they were written for our admonition so that you and me, new covenant believers, can learn from the Old Testament. And so you and me in this example, say you and me were in the camp. And we say like, wow, it's not just like, it's like growing, you know. One guy says, you know, uh, stone them, stone these two men. One guy says it, now two guys say it, now 10 guys, now 20, now 50, now 100, now 1,000, now 5,000, now 10,000, now 40,000, now everybody says, stone them. What would you and I say? What would you and I say? Would we join the multitude? Remember the multitude, they had Torah. The multitude, they had the commandments and statutes. The multitude, they knew the teachings of Moses. But did they hear the teachings of Moses? Would we be with the multitude? Or would we stand with Joshua and Caleb? When all the multitude was against them? Where would we stand? You see? You look at both sides. Say you and me. We, we say, you know what? I know this is pretty hardcore, but we're not with the multitude. We're going to stand with these two. We're going to stand with Caleb and Joshua. And, you know, if the stoning commenced, you know, we would it'd probably be like, you know, time for us to die. It would be like, you know, say goodnight. This is our last day. You know, goodnight. Say goodnight. But would we still stand? You and me. Would we stand with Caleb and Joshua? You look at the multitudes of people, 100% of the camp, second generation, and they were against Caleb and Joshua. And they had, they had Torah. They had the law. But they didn't hear the law. You see? Look at all the Bibles that are in the world today. Look at all the Bibles that are on bookshelves today. Look at all the Bibles that are in churches today. Look at all the Bibles that are everywhere today. People have the Bible. But do they hear the word? Because faith comes by hearing. And hearing by the word of God. But does everybody have ears to hear? And Jesus speaks on this when he says, you know, if the blind follow the blind, he says, both will fall into a ditch. 
if the blind follow the blind. And blindness is something we see as a prophesied occurrence in the last days. And it is happening. It is called apostasy, blindness, deafness. And that's why we give constant warning that you and me together must have, must, must, must have a deep, profound love for and of the truth. No matter how much it hurts. Because without a love of the truth, the Bible says, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, the Lord is the one who gives strong delusion. What do we see happening in these last days? You see a whole lot of crazy. Everywhere you look, crazy town. Everywhere you look. I mean, you can go to the grocery store, you see crazy town. You can go to the mall, you see crazy town. You could go to work, you see crazy town, a whole lot of crazy. You can go inside the church and you see a whole lot of crazy. Strong delusion. You see? And that's why I'm so in love with Chloe and Amos and Jephthah and Jephthah's beautiful daughter. And Joshua and Caleb and our family of faith, heirs of Abraham. There is nothing, 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 nothing more beautiful than righteousness. And Ephraim is in a fallen state here. Inside the camp of Israel. And the man of Gilead defeated Ephraim is what we see here in verse 4. Because they said, you Gileadites are fugitives of Ephraim among the Ephraimites and among the Manassites. Now, Ephraim's argument pointed to a hierarchy. And if you've been walking with us for a while, you remember our study in Genesis. I mean, you know, even in in uh, 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 Leviticus and Numbers, when you see, when you look at the lineage, remember the. The five beautiful daughters that asked Moses, you know, what about our inheritance? You know, what, what if there are no males? What if there are no males that are heads over us? And do we, are we excluded from inheritance? And the Lord, you know, the, or, and Moses, he was kind of, you know, like taken aback a little bit. And you know what I love so much about Moses? Like he didn't know. He didn't know how to answer. But what did he know? You know, hold on. Let me check with the Lord. You see, I love that. Moses, he was confronted with this question. Five beautiful, beautiful, beautiful women. What, 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 what about inheritance for us? When there's, you know, no, no, no male, male headship, what are we excluded from inheritance? And, you know, picture Moses like, hmm, that's a good question. <laughs> and you picture Moses and it's so beautiful because he didn't know. He didn't know. And he says, I'm going to take that to the Lord. You see? And he did exactly that. He goes to the Lord. The Lord says, yeah, give them inheritance. And when you look at these, the lineage from Genesis all the way to this point, what Ephraim is doing, their argument is a carnal hierarchy because of the line of Joseph. Remember, the kids of Joseph were Ephraim and Manasseh. Now, for my Jewish friends, if you're listening and you're Hebrew, 
I love you. I love you. I love you. I love you. If you're Jewish, I love you. A lot of, you know, Jewish people want to have these conversations with the Jewish people. Sometimes, oh, you Christians, you know, I got to be careful with you guys. And hey, listen, if you're Jewish, I'm in full agreement. You have to be very, very careful with Christians because there's some crazy town all over the place where they teach replacement theology. Certain coalitions. Certain coalitions where they teach replacement theology. Which is a lie from the pit of hell. Replacement theology that God is done with Israel. That's a lie from Satan. And these preacher guys, they stand at the pulpit and they teach replacement theology. Certain coalitions, certain coalitions, they teach replacement theology. Certain projects, they teach replacement theology. Desiring this, desiring that. Teaching replacement theology and people eat it all up. And a lot of Jews today in these last days, you have to be very cautious with Christians because, you know, it's like, well, wait a second. You know, I thought Christians were good. I thought Christians were friends of Israel. Not all Christians. Some teach replacement theology, listening to their father, the devil. But the ones who know God, they love the Jews. You see? They love the Jews. And just like Paul, when he says, I would give away my own salvation for my countrymen, for my people. That I would be anathema from Christ for the sake of my brethren. Speaking of the Jews. How much love? Can can you picture that love? For Paul to say, listen, I would dive into the lake of fire if it means that all my Jewish brothers would come to Christ. Picture, what kind of love is that? What kind of love is that for Paul to say, I would jump into the lake of fire and, you know, if that meant that all my Jewish, my brethren, male, female, young, old, that they would come to Christ and believe in the Son of the Most High God. You see, a lot of Jews today in these last days have every reason, every right, and I agree with, if you're listening, if you're Jew, I agree with you. You have to be very careful with Christians. A lot of them have become apostate in deceiving themselves in listening to their father, the devil. Replacement theology is a lie from the pit of hell. The coalitions, the desiring this, the desiring that, the projects. And for my Jewish friends, I love you. And speaking of Ephraim and Manasseh of the line of Joseph, The two were born of a Gentile woman. Don't forget. A Gentile woman and blessed first of Jacob. To those who have ears, let them hear. And in the line of Manasseh is Gilead. 
Remember, this is what Ephraim is saying. The, the argument of Ephraim in verse 4 is, you Gileadites are fugitives of Ephraim among the Ephraimites and among the Manassites. And they're pointing to an argument that is entirely carnal. Observe Israel according to the flesh. Based on this hierarchy. I mean, if we were to, like, actually go to, to, I mean, if you've been walking with us for a while, you remember, like, you know, Genesis, and remember there were times it's like, you know, like, you know, uh, Ham, Japheth, and you see, like, okay, this is the line here, that's all big, one big family dispute that the Lord Jesus Christ, Son of the Most High, will settle. And then you see the, the five women who ask of Moses, you know, hey, you know, what about our inheritance? And you follow this line, this lineage. And this is the argument that Ephraim is making. Like, well, wait a second. It's you. It's you, Gileadites. It's you that are the fugitives of us. And they point to this hierarchy. But they're off base. You see? I mean, if there was preference based on a carnal hierarchy, Ephraim would have a case. Ephraim would absolutely have a case, but he has no case. Who is with the Lord? That's the better hierarchy. Who is it that is with the Lord? You see? Remember Paul? Of the, of the, the, the stock of Benjamin. A Pharisee of Pharisees of the stock of Benjamin. But it's all nothing. It's all nothing. Because I'm with Jesus. You see? I know that's, you know, seemingly heresy to my Jewish friends. But it's all nothing? Because of Jesus? You Christians believe in Jesus? I get it. I get the argument. But don't forget Zafnath Panea. Zafnath Panea. Not yet revealed to his brothers until a certain time. You see? And his Gentile wife with Ephraim and Manasseh. First blessed by Jacob. You see, the Old Testament testifies. Absolutely. It's called Testament for a reason. The law testifies. Remember the, the Pharisees with Jesus? Oh, we're hardcore. We follow Moses and the Lord Jesus. How can you? Because Moses wrote about me. They didn't understand. Like, what do you mean Moses wrote about you? What? They didn't understand. But when you read the Bible, you read Torah. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. And you read with eyes to see and ears to hear. You understand and see, oh my goodness, there's the Lord. Moses is writing of Jesus. See, grain offering, 
wave offering. Remember our studies in Leviticus? I mean, if you're Jewish and you're listening, go back and listen to our studies through Leviticus. I love you. Go back and listen to our studies through Deuteronomy and Numbers and Leviticus. You see? And you'll see, not Zafnath Panea. You'll see, not Joseph. You'll see the Son. You'll see Jesus. And this is the argument that Ephraim was giving. Like, Gilead defeated Ephraim. And Ephraim, you know, you guys are fugitives of Ephraim because Ephraim was pointing to this hierarchy. But they have no base. Who is it that is walking with the Lord? You see? And in verse 5, the Gileadites seized the fords of the Jordan before the Ephraimites arrived. So, you know, the, the, the fords is, you know, the, the location of shallow waters and, you know, places of, of crossing. I mean, if there was like a, this, you know, big, enormous river and you and me got to cross it, you know, we're not going to cross at the big, you know, the uh, where we're going to die. We're not going to cross where we're going to die. We're going to kind of walk along the water bank and see, okay, and this is, you know, the water's like, you know, it, it gets smaller over here and, you know, we, the water's ankle deep over here. Well, that would be the fort. We're not going to cross, you know, where it's, you know, white water rafting and all these things because you know what? We're going to die. So we walk along the bank and say, okay, here's this, here's this fort where we're going to cross and this is our fort. So this is, this is our, our point of cross. And that's what the Gileads did with the, with, uh, with the Ephraimites. They went to the fords. They seized the fords before the Ephraimites arrived. Gilead took it. And when any Ephraimite who escaped, in verse 5, when any Ephraimite who escaped says, they said, let me cross over. Let me cross over. The men of Gilead would say to him, are you an Ephraimite? Are you an Ephraimite? Question mark. If he said no, verse 6, then they would say to him, then say, Shiboleth. And he would say, Siboleth. For he could not pronounce it right. I mean, say for example, you and me were in New York City, USA. I teach, presently, I teach from the United States. And say you and me were in New York City and we're sitting there on a park bench and we're just people watching. That's it. We would see all kinds of people. We would see short people, tall people, chubby people, skinny people. We would see, you know, all different kinds of colors of people. We would see white, black, brown, different variations of color. But we wouldn't be able to discern origin until we spoke to the people. When we go to one guy, okay, he's Dominican. We go to another lady, okay, she's French. We talk to this kid, okay, he's Jamaican. We talk to this other guy, okay, look, he's a cowboy from Texas. We go to this other lady, okay, she's British. Based on dialecta, we can discern more. Or you ever talk with a kid with a lisp? You know, certain enunciation is very difficult for them. Now, a little side note, if you speak with a lisp, it makes no difference to me. It's, this isn't to say like, you know, how dare you, how dare you, how dare you. But, you know, just, you know, certain uh, enunciations are, are difficult for some people. And for Ephraim, 
certain enunciations were difficult for Ephraim. The word Shiboleth, they would say Siboleth. And it's very interesting, very interesting to see how these words translate. Because Siboleth means grain. Shiboleth means grain, branch, and flow. You know what that reminds me of? It reminds me of a beautiful, beautiful vessel of the Lord who says you have 10,000 teachers, but one father. Because there is grain. But from where does it flow? Where are the branches? Now, if you're listening for the first time, you're like, oh, 10,000 teachers, what are you talking about? Go back and listen to our study. Do 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians. You'll understand more. Siboleth and Shiboleth. Seemingly the same, but different. Siboleth means grain. Shiboleth means grain, branch, and flow. Remember the example we gave where, you know, you and me in the camp of Israel and you have all this multitude of the second generation and they want to kill, they want to stone Joshua and Caleb. Where would we stand? Where would we? Everybody has Torah. Everybody knows the teachings of Moses. Everybody has the law. But do they hear the law? You see, from where does grain flow? These are things that the Pharisees were blind and deaf to. We follow Moses. We're so hardcore. Oh, look at us. We're so awesome. We follow Moses. And when they said that to Jesus, Jesus, you're mistaken. You're wrong because Moses wrote about me. Because where is it that grain flows from? You see? And so when a Gilead, when when Ephraimite, there was the the battle and uh, 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 Gilead, in verse 4, the men of Gilead defeated Ephraim. And in verse 5, when any Ephraimite who escaped, they had, you know, guards, so to speak, at the fords of, of the Jordan. Very interesting, the Jordan. A lot of beautiful things at the Jordan. A lot of bad things at the Jordan as well. Let me cross over. Let me cross over. And the men of Gilead, the guards. Are you an Ephraimite? Remember, just like you and me in New York. We can't tell. We can't tell, you know, the French and the Dutch and the, you know, the the Jamaican. We might be able to tell the Jamaican. (laughs) You know, the Jamaican, the, you know, the uh, 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 Venezuelan, you know, the uh, Swahili, Zimbabwe. We we can't tell until we have dialecta. So someone says, okay, yeah, I'm an Ephraimite. Let me cross over. I'm an Ephraimite. You know, they don't know that they're really fleeing the battle. They're trying to escape. Are you an Ephraimite? They say, they say, no. Okay. You say you're not an Ephraimite? Do this for me. Say, Shiboleth. 
And then the, the enunciate, just like, you know, certain dialectas are difficult for some certain en enunciations are difficult for us. And, you know, say shiboleth, say shiboleth. Okay, here we go. Siboleth. You see? And in verse 6, for he could not pronounce it right. You see, they had a problem. According to their dialecta, certain enunciations were difficult. I mean, you know, I speak English. You know, I mean, surprise, I speak English. But I meant there might be like a Chinese person who speaks English, but you know, it's, you could tell, okay, this is a Chinese person who speaks English. I can understand the English, but I know this is a Chinese person because the, the dialect, the certain words don't flow off the, now the same is true the opposite way. I don't speak Chinese, but if I were to learn Chinese, you would know, okay, this is an American who speaks Chinese. You would know. I mean, if you're Chinese, you're listening, you, you would know, like if I knew Chinese and I was speaking to you, you know, okay, this is an American speaking Chinese. So it's the same way here, you know, say shiboleth. And then the Ephraimite says shiboleth. They just couldn't speak that way. He couldn't pronounce it right. Look what happens in verse six. When that happened, they would turn, they would take him and kill him at the fords of the Jordan. Remember, let me cross over. Let me cross over. And they couldn't cross over. Very interesting what we see at the Jordan. And there fell at that time 42,000 Ephraimites. Whoa. It's so sad. Because it doesn't have to be this way. It shouldn't be this way. And yes, Israel had forgotten the Lord. And yes, there were oppressors. And yes, there was victory upon victory of those oppressors. And those oppressors are met by a brick wall in judges. And what the Lord does in Israel using these judges. But these brick walls also have a softness to them. Look at the brick wall of Chloe. A brick wall where she says, look, the defunct pastor over here. Okay, I'm not going to submit to the crazy town. I'm not going to submit myself to this freak show pastor who the guy's having sex with his dad's wife and this pastor's accepting of it for three years. I'm not going to submit myself to the pastor who permits this extortion for three years uncorrected. I'm not going to submit myself to that freak show. Wrong formula. He has no business at the pulpit. You see? But then you look at the church and it's so sad because it never had to be this way. It never had to be this way. You know what's better? Take those freak show pastors and they have no business at the pulpit. They step down, they repent, they get right with God. And you put a Timothy at the pulpit. You put a Titus at the pulpit. You put a Philemon at the pulpit. That's what's better. And then you won't see the divisions. Why? Formula. That's why. Formula. Formula of pastor. Formula of uh, uh, of uh, 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 among the koinonia. Formula of pastor. Formula of sanctuary. Formula of the people, the believers. Remember in our study in the book of Corinth, where in First Corinthians, where Paul says, "Listen, you know." You guys, he says, we're the trash of the, of the, of the, the, the workers. We're the workers. You're the field. We're the workers. You're the building. And these are distinctions that must be made. 
if you're in the field, if you're the building, if you're the field, well, the Lord has workers. And we make these distinctions. You see, and it's so beautiful when somebody goes from worker or, or from field to worker. It's so beautiful. And that does happen. But there's a, a formula. There's a process. I don't like saying process because it sounds so official. But there is a... It's the work of the Lord. When a person moves on to perfection. Remember in the book of Acts when, you know, there was this need that arose in the church and there was this beef that also arose in the church where, you know, certain uh, people were being denied of, you know, uh, a financial support, serving in tables. And the apostles, they says, you know, choose from among you. And there's specific criteria. He doesn't say, hey, we have this need in the church, so, you know, just choose anybody. Hey, Joe Schmo, you over there. Hey, Joe Schmuckatelli. Okay, you, you, you serve in the tables. No, 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 no. Very specific formula. Just for serving in tables. And when I say just for serving in tables, I don't mean like, you know, that's a menial thing. Not just for serving in tables. No, I don't mean to say it that way. Or I, don't, I don't mean to for you to receive it that way. But when I say just for serving in tables, it's that's just for serving in tables, not to neglect the, not to neglect that ministry or to say that that ministry has, it has any type of lower appeal. No, it's beautiful. It's a work of the Lord. It's a work of the Lord, but just for serving in tables. Very specific formula. And the apostles, they say, we're not going to leave the word of God. We're not going to leave the word of God in this ministry that the Lord has called us to. We're not going to, we're going to be obedient to how the Lord called us. Picture that in a church today. Where a need arises in the church, you have a couple people, maybe a small handful of people that say, hey, pastor, hey, pastor, hey, pastor, we got a need over here. And pastors get burned out because, you know, they, they, they want to do everything. I got to do this. 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 And pastors burn out. Or if they get help, they say, okay, hey, you, Joe Schmo, you do this. Hey, you, Joe Schmuckatelli, you do this. doesn't work that way. doesn't work that way at all. I mean, biblically, it shouldn't work that way. I mean, it doesn't work that way when you consider formula. You might say, well, wait a second. You say it doesn't work that way, so why do we see it today? Bingo, precisely my point. We see it everywhere. We see it everywhere. You know what else we see? No power. Wrong formula. Lamps without oil. No power. And we see like here in verse 6, Ephraimites, 42,000. And I don't say this like, you know, like, oh, look, you know, uh, Jephthah, he's victorious. Jephthah is victorious. Oh, look. Yes, he's victorious. But it's so sad because the opposing force that came against them was inside the camp. 
Observe Israel according to the flesh. According to the flesh. Because these are divisions, yes. And today, in these last days, there are divisions. There will be, and the divisions will get deeper. And some division is good, and some division is bad. You say, wait a second. I thought division is a bad thing. Well, don't forget, there's good division, there's bad division. Remember Paul when he says, with division, are you not carnal? But the same Paul, the same vessel says, okay, now it's time to divide. He says, you remnant separate from the leaven. But wait a second, Paul said division isn't good. And now he's saying division is good. One is bad, one is good. But discernment is required. Biblical discernment. Discernment of the spirit. Just like we say the blanket statements. Remember in our study in not just our study in James, but our study everywhere. How you know when Brother James says, you know, to 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 to, to bear one another's burdens, and yes, it is beautiful to confess trespasses to one another. Yes, it's so beautiful. But that formula. That formula has to be right within the congregation so that beautiful saints can exercise their faith. Oh, we don't like this pastor. He's so mean. We don't like this pastor. He's so mean. We don't like him. We don't like him. We don't like him. We're going to go over here where we can feel good about ourselves. We're going to go over here where we can do our sex, our drugs, our rock and roll and feel like a million bucks. Then we look at James, it's like, oh, wait a second. What, what pastor do you know? What pastor do you know? Hey, pastor, I'm having a problem with prayer. I pray and nothing happens. What pastor do you know who will say, okay, you're the problem? Almost. No pastor would even dare say that. Almost. There are some. That formula, if a pastor says that, that formula better be right. Better be right. And James, when he says what he says, hey, that formula is right. When Paul, when he says what he says, hey, that formula is right. It's a vessel of the Lord. But when Brother James says, hey, you know, the problem is not the Lord. You're not, you ask and don't receive. The problem is you. What pastor do you know today who would say that? Almost no pastor would dare say that. You know why? They're hirelings. They serve their belly. They serve their wallet because they know if a person comes to them and says, hey, the problem's not the Lord, the problem is you. They know that person's going to say, okay, bye-bye. I'm out of here and I'm taking my money with me. And then that, the pastor knows that he's going to be broke can't pay his mortgage, can't pay his rent, can't pay his car, can't pay this, can't pay that. He knows he's going to be broke. You see? So they don't dare teach truth. You see? It's powerful. We have to understand. We have to understand. And not just the times in which we live. But even more so in these last days, even more so. 
because we're hit from all sides. Attack over here, attack over there, attack over here, attack over there, attack everywhere, including from among the brethren. You see? Discernment. Because some division is good. Some division is bad. We need to discern. And here with the death of 42,000 Ephraimites in verse 6. That's sad. Because it never had to be this way. When Jesus says, you know, you read the red letters in Revelation 2 and 3. And Jesus says, I wish you were hot or cold. But because you're lukewarm, I will vomit you out in the body and now expelled from the body. Jesus says, red letters, I will vomit you out. But it's so sad because it never had to be that way. They didn't have to get to that point. Why is it that that lukewarm brother, why is it that that lukewarm sister is in fact lukewarm? Why? Yes, there are because of choices he's made, because of choices she's made, but also they submit themselves to the defunct. They submit themselves to a person who has the wrong formula. They submit themselves to a person while not even knowing about formula. You see? Because who they submit in themselves to serves the belly, serves the wallet, also serving their father, the devil. You see? Choose wisely. Whole lot of pastors out there on every street corner and all that's implied choose wisely it never had to be this way to be vomited out for the lukewarm to be vomited out it doesn't have to be that way 42,000 Ephraimites doesn't it never had to be that way you see and in verse 7, and Jephthah judged Israel six years. Six years, not a long period of time. Only six years. Then Jephthah the Gileadite died and was buried among the cities of Gilead. I have such a warm place in my heart for Jephthah. Such a warm place in my heart for his beautiful, beautiful daughter. For Jephthah to honor his vow is one thing. I'm mean, not, not to suggest that that's, you know, a, 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 a tiny thing. No, it's a big deal. For Jephthah to honor his vow unto the Lord. But for his beautiful daughter to honor, not her vow, but the vow of her dad. Whew. That's breathtakingly beautiful. Stunning. Exquisite. Yes, they died. Jephthah died. Jephthah's daughter died. But I can't wait to meet them. I can't wait to embrace them. I can't wait. In verse 8, in closing, after him, Ibzan of Bethlehem judged Israel. The next judge from Bethlehem. The next judge from Bethlehem. You see? I wonder if that resonates with my Jewish friends. 
who consider the silence of the lineage of Jephthah. I wonder, I wonder. Speaking of Ibzan of Bethlehem, he had 32 sons in verse 9, or not 32, he had 30 sons. And he gave away 30 daughters in marriage and brought in 30 daughters from elsewhere for his sons. He judged Israel seven years. Then Ibzan, in verse 10, died and was buried at Bethlehem. After him, Elon the Zebulonite judged Israel. He judged Israel 10 years. And Elon the Zebulonite died and was buried at Aijalon in the, in the country of Zebulun. Verse 13, after him, Abdon, the son of Hillel, the Perathonite, judged Israel. He had 40 sons and 30 grandsons who rode on 70 young donkeys. He judged Israel eight years. Then Abdon, the son of Hillel, the Perathonite, died and was buried at Peraton in the land of Ephraim in the mountains of the Amalekites. As we see the ups and downs of Israel, also bear in mind that we see an absence of the priesthood. And we also see the beautiful, beautiful makeup of these wonderful vessels, beautiful vessels called judges. To the beautiful people of the way, a remnant of the last days. God bless you. I love you.